I greet you in the high and holy name of Jesus Christ, our crucified and risen Lord. Our scripture lesson for the morning is from the Old Testament book of 1 Kings, chapter 17, beginning with the seventh verse. And if you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, to Elijah, the prophet. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home And make a meal for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up. And the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him in from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his bed. And then he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, Look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated and let us pray. Take my lips and speak through them. Take our thoughts and think through them. 
take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Unless you speak, nothing of significance will be spoken. Give us your word, Lord Jesus. Amen. Not all deals are good deals. You don't have to live very long to learn that lesson. There was a little boy who discovered it. He had a pet dog that had a litter of puppies. And after the puppies had been weaned, he found good homes for all of them except one. So he posted a sign in the yard that said, puppy for sale, $10. Now his father, who perhaps was training the boy to be an entrepreneur and to think big, he said, oh, son, change that sign. Post puppy for sale, $100. So that's what the boy did. The next day when the father came home from work, the sign was gone and the puppy was gone. So he said to his son, ah, I see you sold the puppy for $100. That's wonderful. Well, not exactly, said the boy. I traded the puppy for two $50 kittens. <laughs> not every deal is a good deal. In the Old Testament book of 1 Kings, we find the prophet Elijah offering a widow what looked like a really bad deal. I mean, he asked her to prepare a meal for him when her cupboard was almost bare. Uh, the entire country was suffering through a famine, and she had just enough flour and oil for one meal, and that was it. She could hardly afford to be generous, but that's exactly what she did. And as it turned out, she and her son were the big winners. Their supply of food continued as long as there was a famine in the land. And later, when her son became ill and died, the prophet was nearby to mediate the power and presence of God for that boy's healing. And so, in that beautiful story, from 1 Kings 17, I want to try to plant on our hearts three truths that I see here. First, no one is so poor or weak as to escape God's notice. No one is so poor or weak as to escape God's notice. If anybody could have escaped God's notice, you would have thought it would have been this widow of Zarephath. She was doubly handicapped. Not, she was a widow, and in that culture, that meant someone just absolutely helpless. And she was a Gentile, which meant she was racially despised by most of the Jews. Yet God was mindful of her and merciful to her. And centuries later, when Jesus delivered his inaugural sermon in his hometown of Nazareth, he talked about this widow of Zarephath. Now, he was speaking to a Jewish audience, and they were prejudiced racially toward all Gentiles. And Jesus had the boldness to say to this audience, you know, back in the days of Elijah, there were a whole lot of needy widows here in Israel. But God did not send Elijah to one of them. He sent him to this Gentile in a land outside Israel. 
Well, when Jesus said that, it made his audience of racist terribly angry to the extent they ran Jesus out of town, out of his own hometown, because Jesus was bold enough to declare that in God's purview, there are no second-class persons. You'll find often in the Bible the phrase widow and orphan, widow and orphan. That's code language for the least, the lost, the lonely, and the hurting. You know, God tilts toward some people. He does. God tilts toward those who are farthest from home and in the biggest mess. That's where God tilts. Jesus said, God sees even a tiny sparrow when it falls. And you know that if God's eye is on the sparrow, he surely sees you and me. When the church cares about the least, the lost, the lonely, and the hurting, the church is reflecting the love of her master. That's our mission. I've noticed something over the last few months, uh, certainly around Columbia, and you may have noticed it around Lexington. I'm noticing an, an increasing number of homeless people who are standing at intersections in the traffic, holding up homemade pasteboard signs, asking for assistance. And at first, I couldn't understand this because almost every business I know is advertising for employees. But I realized that some people are handicapped in ways that make them unable to work. So when I encounter one of these people standing in an intersection, unless it would really foul up traffic, I try to help them. Yes, I realize that my gift could be misused. It could feed somebody's addiction. I realize that. But you know something? I, I think I would rather be fleeced by nine people than miss one authentic case of need. And so I try to help when I can. A friend of mine made a, what I think is a really good suggestion recently. She said, we Christians ought to carry in our cars a few of these homemade traveler's aid bags. And it could include in it uh, a gift certificate to a fast food restaurant, bottle of water, package of crackers, upper room, any other item you think could help a traveling person. And she said, you know, even though somebody might discard some of what's in the bag, that might be a more thoughtful, really more loving gift than just handing out cash. I'm reminded of a great golfer from Argentina, Robert Davinzio. Uh, some years ago, he won a big tournament down in Argentina and received a, a large paycheck. As he left the golf club that day, he was accosted by a young woman who told him this sad story about her young baby who was near the point of death and she could not pay the medical expenses. And without hesitation, Davinzio just sat down and endorsed the check over to her. And of course, she was delighted. Two weeks later, a PGA official came to Davinzio and said, we heard what you did a couple of weeks ago, turning your paycheck over to that young woman, and we did some investigating. 
She's a phony. Not only does she not have a, a, a sick baby, she's not even married. Davinzio replied, do you mean there's no young baby at the point of death? The official said, no. Davinzio said, that's the best news I've heard all week. Davinzio was more concerned about a sick baby than his own paycheck. And you know, that sounds a whole lot like the values of our God. Here's the second truth I want to plant on your heart. Our ultimate security must be in God, not in our possessions. Our ultimate security must be in God, not in our possessions. The widow of Zarephath sure didn't have much. Just a small house, a little bit of flour and oil. But you know, sometimes when our possessions are scarce, we get really stingy and tight-fisted. Not so with this widow. She did not worship her scant possessions. Instead, she trusted in the God who had sent his prophet to her. Now, how is it with us and with our hearts? Will you let me conduct a, a little experiment? Bear with me. You men, I invite you to take your wallets out of your pockets and hold them in your hand. And you ladies, take your pocketbook, hold it in your hand. Bless your hearts. Doesn't it feel good? Doesn't it feel good? Because you know we are holding in our hand the sacred symbol of our affluent culture. Yes. These wallets and pocketbooks containing money and those plastic money cards. For many Americans, they represent the magic carpet to joy and happiness. That's it. That's it. Now, you know, I could ask you to hand your wallet and pocketbook to the person near you. But that would make you anxious, nervous, even if the person is in your own family. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. But if I did, wouldn't it be a good time to take up the offering? <laughs> I wonder if we were giving somebody else's resources, we might be more liberal than giving our own. I, I don't know. Our culture teaches us to love what is in this wallet and pocketbook. And yet Jesus said, we cannot serve both God and money. One has to come first. Now you can return that wallet and pocketbook to its rightful place. God's word to us is the same message that Elijah conveyed to the widow. Don't be afraid. God is a much more reliable source than is your financial portfolio. Some years ago, I spent 10 days in Zambia, Central Africa. My church had a continuing mission there. And I went there to teach in a training school for pastors. And I learned so much more from them than, than I taught them. This was an amazing group of about 150 pastors. They were about the most excited and committed preachers I have ever encountered. Their average salary was about a dollar a day. And out in the villages, they were often competing with 
with witch doctors selling all kind of pagan myths. And yet they were so full of zeal and joy for the Lord. And on at least three occasions during those 10 days, the superintendent or bishop stood up and said to the pastors, there is a certain village that has no Christian ministry. I think I can recruit a preacher to go there, but I need a little money to support him and I need prayers. And he took up an offering. And I watched those pastors dig into their pockets, into their meager resources, and give with joy, knowing that it would extend the ministry of Christ. Oh, I learned so much from them. We, we American pastors and you, American laity, we are hundreds of times more affluent than those preachers in Zambia. But I wonder, I wonder, is our gratitude, is our generosity even in the same league with theirs? I keep a collection of especially meaningful letters I've received from people across the years. And I want to share one with you. I've just changed the names. Dear Bill, Jane and I made a $4,500 contribution to the church yesterday that brought our annual giving to more than 10% of income. There was a time a few years back when our financial resources were much larger, but I was overdrawn on the spiritual side. Life was hell. Today, it is just the opposite. Given a choice of the two situations, I'll take the place we are today without any reservations. We are blessed, thankful, and at peace. Signed, Sam. Brothers and sisters, fear and faith battle constantly within our hearts, never ceasing. And when fear grabs us by the throat, we begin to wonder, can I really depend on God when the going gets tough? Or am I actually on my own, for better or for worse? And when that kind of thinking gets into our minds, it sets off a chain reaction of fears. Like, what will be the cost of health care 10 years from now? When my 10-year-old son is ready for college, will I be able to afford to send him? What would happen to me if my company were sold to some international outfit and they didn't need me in my position anymore? What then? And the consistent assurance of Scripture is that God will provide. Yes, we should do our part. We should make reasonable provision for the future. John Wesley, our founder, said, earn all you can, save all you can. Give all you can. And even the squirrels have enough sense to save. But God should be our ultimate security net. We cannot anticipate or plan for everything. The greater our trust in him, the lower will be our anxiety level. Here is the third and primary truth. God will always outgive us. Just think for a moment about that widow of Zarephath. God met her needs, sure did. But he began 
by asking something of her. And her act of generosity, motivated by faith, triggered an endless supply of food and later healing for her son. Yes, she was saved by God, but her help was triggered by her own faith and generosity. In that last book in the Old Testament, Malachi 3, verse 10, we have this promise from God. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, the storehouse being your local faith assembly. Test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, you will not have room enough to receive it. Of, and of course, a tithe is the first 10% of our earnings. And giving it up front requires faith. Here's the big truth about tithing. If you give 10% of income for the right reasons, God will bless you materially and spiritually. If you give 10% for the wrong reasons, it won't help at all. If you give 10% in hopes that God will make you a multimillionaire, it will not work. God is not a venture capitalist. And if you give 10% in hopes of buying a ticket to heaven, that won't work either. Those tickets are not for sale. The price for those tickets was paid by Jesus Christ when he died on the cross for our sins. And those tickets are accessed only by faith. But if you give 10% for the right reasons, gratitude and obedience, gratitude and obedience, God will bless you materially and spiritually. How can I be sure? Jesus said so. Here are the words of Jesus. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you give, you use, it will be measured to you. Let me share the testimony that a couple here at Mount Horeb shared with me. This couple came up to me and the wife said, Years ago, when we were newly married, both of us were in school. My husband in medical school. I was completing a college degree. So we had no income. We were living completely off loans, educational loans. And one Sunday, the preacher preached on tithing. And so after the service, we went up to him privately. And we said, Pastor, we believe what you're preaching, but we have no income right now. Would it be okay if we tithed our time since we have no income? Uh, we could do volunteer tasks for the church. We'd be glad to. And the pastor said, that'll be great. And he made some suggestions of what they could do for the church. Several weeks later, at the end of the service, the pastor saw them and he said to them, could you come meet me in my office for a few moments, and they did. And in his office, he took out an envelope and he handed it to them. He said, now there's a check in here and it comes from the discretionary fund that the church allows me to use to help people that I believe are in a financial challenged position and could use some assistance. 
and I believe you qualify, and I want you to receive this as a token of love and esteem from this congregation. They thanked him profusely. And then when they got to their car, the husband opened the envelope, and he began to grin from ear to ear. He was the only medical student in his class who did not have a microscope. They couldn't afford it. The amount of this check was the exact price of a microscope. And there was no way in the world the pastor could have even known that they needed a microscope. They knew it was a God thing. And the wife said to me, we have been tithing ever since. Tithing, you see, is not really a money issue at all. It's a heart issue. As my favorite Baptist preacher, the late, great Adrian Rogers used to say, what you do not freely give to God, he neither needs nor wants. Tithing is not God's way to raise money. It's God's way to grow Christians. Let me close with this ancient legend. It's a legend about a monk who traveled around the countryside doing good, just like his master. And one day he received as a gift from a rich person a, a very valuable diamond. And the rich donor believed that the monk would sell it and the proceeds would support him for a long time to come. But instead of doing that, the monk just put the diamond in his sack which included all his earthly possessions. Soon thereafter, a traveler approached the monk uh, asking for assistance. And so the monk opened his bag. The traveler saw that diamond and he said, would you give that to me? And without hesitation, the monk gave it to him. The traveler went on his way, thrilled. About a week later, the traveler returned to the monk and he had a discontented look on his face. He said to the monk, I want you to give me something more valuable than this diamond. I want you to give me what enabled you to give the diamond to me. He was asking for something that only God can give. A heart so full of gratitude that it must give generously as surely as the lungs must breathe. Do we have that gift? In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, give us more faith. The things of this world and the materialism so rampant in our culture constantly try to ensnare our hearts. Protect us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't allow anything or anyone to challenge our Lord Jesus Christ for first place in our hearts. Amen.